Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would take it and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. We're going to start actually in the book of Luke chapter 1. But if you only want to turn to one place, you go ahead and go to uh, the book of Matthew. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you over and over and over again for your gracious love for us. We thank you for the Lamb of God. And Father, we thank you for this child who has just been born uh, in our study. We thank you that he indeed is the Lamb of God. And we thank you for all of the blessings that this child is going to bring with him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the greatest storyteller on earth. And Father, you put together a story for us and put it in our hands. A story of bringing the world to redemption. And Father, I pray that this would be a story that we take to heart. And Father, as we prepare to hear the words of John the Baptist this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to his message. And Lord, I pray that we would always be eager to transform our lives into what they should be. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we brought our Old Testament study to an end with the book of Malachi, Malachi left us, and you don't have to turn here if you don't want to, but I'm in Malachi 4.4. And the book of Malachi ends with these two statements. There's two reminders that the prophet gives you going into the New Testament era. He says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. And so there's about to be 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. And he gives you several things to remember. Remember the law of Moses. And then he says in the next verse, verse 5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so God gives you these two things through the prophet. You're to remember the law of Moses and watch out for the prophet Elijah because he is coming before the day of the Lord comes. And so you flip only a few chapters in your, excuse me, only a few pages in your Bible over to Matthew. But go ahead and turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. We're going to primarily, from this point forward, go through the book of Matthew. But the other gospels will highlight some of the things that Matthew shares. No one gospel contains every single thing about Jesus. The book of John and the very end of John says that it would be impossible for volumes of books to contain all of the things that Christ did on earth. And so the gospels are each written to a particular audience and we're going to grab different things from each of the gospels as we go through. But like I said, we're primarily going to go through Matthew. I told you that Matthew is a book written primarily to a Jewish audience. Mark is going to be a book that's written primarily to a Roman Gentile audience. If you were to read through the book of Mark, you would see over and over and over again that the author Mark uses the word immediately. The Romans were known for not having incredibly long attention spans. And so that's why Mark is much shorter. And he is going, he's saying things like immediately Jesus did this. And then immediately this happened. And so, like I said, all of these books are written to different audiences. Luke is written uh, to a particular person, it seems. There's a person by the name of Theophilus. We don't know who he is or where he lived, but Luke sets out to write an eyewitness account, and he writes Luke and Acts to give to someone as eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. And then you have John, which is written as the last of the New Testament books, excuse me, the last of the Gospels. And John writes to a, a, a philosophical 
Gentile group of people, and he leaves kind of his last mark as to the life of Jesus. John's the last of the apostles to die, and so he's the last of the old men leaving a legacy onto the the batch of new believers. And so we're going to start in the book of Luke. If you're not turning there, you stay in Matthew 3. I promise you we'll get there. But listen to this. I'll start in Luke 1 just so you can see what I was talking about, about the author or the author's uh, anticipated audience. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And so, like I said, Luke sets out to write in consecutive order uh, the gospel account. And so, I know we're jumping around, but if you were to, to flip the page from Malachi to the New Testament, what would be the first thing that you would think should jump off the page at you? It should be Elijah the prophet, right? Because he says... In Malachi, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord. And so right here in Luke, listen to how this starts. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And so... In a minute, this is a spoiler alert, you're going to get to John the Baptist. But in order for John the Baptist to come about, listen to the great things said about uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias. Verse 6. And and I would hope, we've come out of a season of a lot of funerals at our church. But if God remembered you in his word, you can pay any amount of money and get anything etched on your tombstone. But ultimately, what God says about you is what matters. Hopefully, he would say of you and of I that they were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And so I just want you to remember that out of parents like this come this great prophet Elijah. Now go on to verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15. The angel is saying this of the child, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he, that's this child, the child of Zacharias and Elizabeth, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so you have this angel comes down, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they have this, it's not as divine of an ordeal as Jesus being born, but both Elizabeth and Zacharias are well advanced in years, well beyond childbearing years, and they have a miraculous child, just like Jesus is miraculous. Now, there is no virgin birth with Zacharias and Elizabeth, but anyways... You can go on in the rest of Luke and read the rest of that story. But listen over in verse 64. Chapter 1, verse 64. 
This is Zacharias. Uh, Ask the angel for a sign. He says, how do I know that what you're saying is going to take place? How do I know that we're going to give birth in our old age to this child? And the angel says, you want a sign? This is the sign your wife has been praying for. You're going to be quiet until the child's born. Any of you pregnant ladies? That, that mean anything to you? No? Come on, crowd. Loosen up. I know you've eaten a lot over the holidays, but let's go with this. And so now the child has been born. It's eight days later. It's ready to, they're ready to name the child formally. And in verse 64 says this, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, this is verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he raised up, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And so every single thing that Zacharias is saying, and he's going to say more, is coming out of those Old Testament prophets that we spent that time studying and understanding. And so hopefully you see where Zachariah, Zacharias is getting his hope from, and hopefully you see what his hope Hope is in and for. He's an old man and he's just had his first child. And he's not overly excited that he has had his first child, but he's overly excited and he's praising God because God is keeping his promises. And so he goes on to show mercy. This is verse 72. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we might be rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go on to prepare the Lord You will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Any of you men give a grand speech like that when your child was born? I look back when my children were born, and I was pretty much like, wow. Actually, when my first child was born, my thought was, why did all of my friends with all of their children not tell me that kids are purple when they're born? Like, who in the world left that out of all the birthing classes? Holy smokes. Anyways, that's what I was thinking when my child was born, but I'm no Zacharias, right? No amens on that one? Man, you guys are tough this morning. He's a tough crowd. Anyways, and so listen to this. He says, and this is, this is pushing you into the new covenant error. One of the purposes of this child, verse 77, is to give his people the knowledge of salvation 
by the forgiveness of their sins. Remember, part of the hope of that old covenant is that one day God was going to wipe away the iniquities of the people. And the only way to do that is to forgive them of their sins. And so this child is going to prepare the way for the people to understand how their iniquities can be forgiven. All right, we leave the book of Luke and we go over to the book of Matthew. But we're going to go to Matthew 17 first. Okay, we're going to start kind of in the end of Matthew and work our way back. So you're in Matthew 17, verse 10. This is immediately following the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples are kind of still, or Peter, James, and John at least, are still excited about what happened on the mountain. And then it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 10, And his disciples asked him, And so the disciples come up with a good question, as they always do. And they say, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. And so hopefully you see here from the the New Testament Gospels that this child, the forerunner of the Lord, is said to be Elijah by Jesus himself. Let's go flip back just a couple more pages and go to chapter 11 of Matthew. I hope that you've noticed by now that any time that God is at work somewhere... There's a certain number of people that arise that have a problem with whatever God is doing. And so naturally, there's some misunderstanding and there's some disgruntledness as to who this person John is and to who this person Jesus is. And in chapter 11, verse 10, they're trying to figure out who John is. And Jesus tells them in verse 10, this is the one about whom it is written. This is Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then listen to what he says. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus tells them, the person that you're looking for, John the Baptist, he's the forerunner. He is Elijah. He's the one who's come to prepare the way of the Lord and to make straight the paths of the people. And then he goes on to say about John the Baptist that among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so he's going to be the greatest of all those who have been born of flesh. And then he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so you go, whoa, time out. John the Baptist is the, is the greatest man that's ever been born, the greatest prophet of God that's ever been born. But there's a kingdom of God in which the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest human being that's ever been born? Yes. And so hopefully by now you're thinking, what is going on with this kingdom of God that we're talking about? Now we'll go back to Matthew chapter 3. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. We're going to look at John the Baptist coming on the scene. This is Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, John the Baptist came, now we all know who John the Baptist is. This is what John the Baptist came saying. Verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many of you probably would have liked John the Baptist because he preached incredibly short sermons, right? That's all he had to say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Maybe? 
You're ashamed of yourselves. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the message that's given to the man who's going to come before the Lord and is going to make his path straight. And so let's look at what this means, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What God expects of you from this prophet is that you repent. And this message is not just to God's people and it's not just to hedonistic people. This is a message to the whole world that you and I are in need of repentance from the godliest person in this room to the least godly person in this room. We are all in need of repentance. And that's something that we need to think very, very deeply about that no matter how godly you are, no matter how godly I become, On a daily basis, we need to walk in repentance. You never grow too close to Christ that you need to stop repenting. You never get to a place where you need to stop examining your life for sin and asking for forgiveness. I'll let you in on a little secret, and this may not be encouraging. The closer I grow to Christ the more I realize I'm in need of repenting of. You see, when you grow in Christ, you are trying to become more like Christ, and so you want your reflection to look like that of Christ. And the more serious you take that, the more you realize how many faults you have and how short you come up over and over and over again. The worst thing you could do is believe everything that people tell you about yourself. The best thing that you could do, the best thing that I can do, is to examine yourself in light of Christ. And he says, through John the Baptist, you need to repent. And so repentance is one thing, but for different people, repentance looks different. Some people, let's say that that Christ is over here, okay? For some people that are lost and not saved, they are actively living their life opposed to God's standard for their life. And so they are doing their own thing. And so the word repent means to turn around. I've told you in in like a Greek race, in an Olympic-style race, when you would run a certain distance and then get to a point and turn around and run back, there was a pent in the ground. And so you need to repent. You need to turn around and you need to start pursuing God, right? That's repentance. You Make a turn and you start going back towards God. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the first step of repentance for you is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. That's your first step in repentance. And so you stop living your life for you and you turn and you start living your life towards Christ. Now, what are the things, the different things that we repent of? Well, you need to repent of your sins. And so what is sin? What's a good definition of sin? Sin is not merely doing something wrong. Sometimes sin is omitting to do something. And so it may be that you're not doing something. It may be that you're doing something wrong. And so sin is actually missing the mark. And so if Christ is over here and Christ is this tiny bullseye, then we are sinning if we are missing the mark. 
You with me? And so anything short of being exactly like Christ is sin. And so some of us have repented of our sin and we've turned towards Christ and we're pursuing Christ. But some of us are missing the mark in following Christ. And we need to repent and try to hit the mark more. You following me? And so some people need to repent unto salvation. And some of us need to repent in our daily walks with Christ because we're actively missing the mark. You with me? Give me, give me a little head nod if that makes sense. And so now you could be thinking, you're preaching perfection. God, you're saying that God wants us to be perfect because if following Christ is this tiny bullseye and you're telling us that we're constantly missing it, that we're, we're all messing up. No, never in the scriptures are you expected to be perfect. Now, I do think that you should strive for perfection, maybe because I'm a perfectionist, but the scriptures here say, repent. God in no way, shape, or form expects you to walk into the kingdom of God 100% perfect without sin. What does he expect from you? He expects from you repentance. And so you don't have to get every single thing right. You need to have a heart of repentance where you're examining your life And you're examining where you're missing the mark. And you're asking God for his forgiveness in those times. And so it's not that you walk 100% perfect with Christ and you never mess up. But it's that in your daily walk with Christ, you're striving for Christ. And when you miss the mark, you are repenting and asking God for forgiveness. We're going to talk about this just a little bit more. And hopefully you'll be able to see the difference that I'm trying to make. But listen to this in verse 4. It says, now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around Jordan. And so John the Baptist is living out in the wild. He has a diet of locust and honey and he has a garment of camel's hair. And so John the Baptist probably looks less like Billy Graham and more like Cy Robertson, okay? Just so that you get a good idea of the type of people that God is using to further his agenda. And it says that they were going out to him, this is verse 6, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And so John the Baptist is the one who's making straight the path for the Lord. And the people are coming out to John and they're confessing their sin and they're being baptized. And so they're coming to John and they're repenting and they're being baptized. But when he saw, this is verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so you have this group of people that are teachers of the law. They're Sadducees and Pharisees. And these Sadducees and Pharisees, God had, God, excuse me, Christ condemns both of these groups. He speaks more condemning the Pharisees than the Sadducees, but he didn't have good things to say about either one. And so let's just talk for a second about who these Pharisees were. Pharisees were a group of people who knew the scriptures. You would look at their knowledge of the scriptures and you would say, wow, that's a really good thing. They were people who prayed and prayed often. They were people who fasted. 
And so they knew the scriptures, they prayed, they fasted, and then they also tithed. They were very adamant in tithing. And so if you looked at this group of people who tithe, they pray, they know the scriptures, and they fast, you would think, man, that's not a bad group of folks. And then what does God say when, or what does John the Baptist say when those people come? He says, you broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so what was it about this group of people that John that set John the Baptist off and he told them also to repent? The people who would have looked holy to the rest of the world around them. These people who prayed, fasted, tithed, and knew the scriptures, they were also very self-righteous and they were hypocrites. And those two things trumped everything else that they did. Self-righteous and hypocrisy. And, and then he calls them, you broad of vipers. What is a viper? A poisonous snake that if it bites something, it kills it. Hypocrisy and self-righteousness will do that to you every single time. And so he tells them the same thing that he tells everybody else. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says in verse 9, And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And so he tells them, Listen, your righteousness and your your self-righteousness and your hypocrisy is killing you. And you think because of where you come from, you're okay. And he says that is not the case. You see, you're to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you're going to find very soon that John and Jesus are both going to be preaching what it takes for you to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is at hand because God's son, the king, has come to earth and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. And you're going to find here that just because you were born to the right people doesn't automatically get you in. You ever seen somebody very, very wealthy? And and I have nobody in mind for the record. Someone very, very wealthy and then they have children and their children inherit all of their parents' wealth, and they didn't work for any of the wealth. They just got it all. Many times that produces the type of person that these Pharisees and Sadducees are. Not every time, but many a times. And so John tells them, listen, just because you have a certain person as your father does not get you any merit in the kingdom of God. And the same thing would be true for it doesn't matter who your mother and father were in this church. It doesn't matter how many relatives you have buried in the cemetery outside of the doors. None of those things matter when it comes to your standing in the kingdom of God. And so the message to someone who comes from deep roots in this church or any other church is the exact same as to someone who comes off the street. And that is repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he tells them this. Verse 10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so does he tell those people that are knowledgeable in Scripture, that tithe, that... uh, 
that pray and that fast? Does he tell them that you can't get in because of your self-righteousness and your hypocrisy? Does he say, go away, this isn't for you? Not at all. The message to them is the exact same to somebody who's outside, who is opposed to Christ. The message is repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I think, listen to this, I think that it's more difficult for someone who grew up in church with a very involved mother, father, grandfather, I think that it's more difficult for them to understand their need for the gospel than it is for someone who grows up out on the street away from Christ. Because many times we as American Christians have a sense of entitlement, that we are entitled to inherit the kingdom of God based on what people before us did. And that is 100% false. Listen, your invitation to the kingdom of God is exactly like the rest of the world's. Repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And any tree, that's we are all trees, and any tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so you may be here and you may be wondering, have I ever repented of my sins or am I just riding on the religious coattails of my fathers before me? Look at your life Examine it and ask yourself, are you bearing good fruit? And if you want to take it a step farther, because many a times we are self-righteous and hypocritical, go ask somebody else if your life is bearing good fruit. Go ask somebody that has more gray hair than you if your life is bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And don't ask the older person that you know who's just going to tell you what you want to hear. Ask somebody who's going to be unbiased and say, is my life producing good fruit? And if the answer is no, repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance and you won't be cut down and thrown into the fire because repentance is necessary to inherit the kingdom of God. And you're going to find this over and over and over again. And some of you gray-haired men, if someone takes me up on my, my offer here to ask someone older than you, listen to me. You tell them the truth. Don't just tell them what they want to hear. Don't worry about their title or their position in our church. If somebody comes to you and asks you a question, you owe it to them to tell them the truth. Amen? All right. Now, verse 11. John says, as for me, I baptize you. Remember, we talked about that word baptize means immerse. I immerse you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit or I am not worthy to remove his sandals. For he will immerse you or baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John tells them, listen, I'm baptizing you with water, but someone's coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so Jesus is coming 
and his winnowing fork is in his hand. And a winnowing fork is much like a pitchfork, maybe wider. And they would stack up wheat into a big pile. And then it would be somebody's job to take that pile of wheat and throw it all day up into the air. And there would be a light breeze blowing. And all of the chaff and all of the, uh, the coating of the seed would blow away. And then at the end of the day, hopefully, he's left with just a pile of wheat seeds or wheat kernels. Okay, And so he says, that's what this person coming after me is going to do. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Verse 14. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Verse 16. After being baptized by Jesus, excuse me, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so with these last two verses in the book of Matthew chapter 3, you learn that Jesus walks into the water to be baptized by John the Baptist, not for forgiveness of sin, but to identify with us as sinners. And so he is baptized by John. As soon as he is baptized by John, light from heaven and a dove come and land on him. And then you hear a voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in Matthew chapter three, you have your first glimpse and your first understanding at the Trinity. You have all throughout the Old Testament, you have God explaining himself as one. But sometimes he seems like more than one. And he tells Moses, I am the Lord your God and I am one. And so it's difficult to wrap your mind around exactly how to identify God in some ways. And here you realize in Matthew chapter 3 that you are identifying God as the Father in heaven. That's my Son. You're identifying Jesus as the Son, and you're identifying the Holy Spirit as a dove. And you have a good description or a good identity as to what the Trinity looks like. You say, explain to us this Trinity in more detail. (laughs) Good luck. All right. If you've ever been in Sunday school and someone has, if you've done this, forgive me in advance. And he's ever been, has ever described the Trinity by using an egg. You have a shell, a yolk, and a white. And they say that's how the Trinity is. Three parts, one, one piece. It's not a good description, right? It fits for a little while, but any illustration when you're trying to illustrate God is going to break down. You see, Jesus is fully God even when he's separate from the other two members of the Godhead. Your egg yolk is not an egg that you could throw at something when it's just an egg yolk. You see, you need three pieces of the egg to make up the whole egg, but somehow within the Trinity, you only need one member of it, and that completes the whole Trinity. You say, preacher, that makes no sense. You take that up with God when you see him, okay? I'm telling you how this thing works. I'm not telling you I understand how it works. I'm just telling you how it works. And so you get your first glimpse at the Trinity. And so, brothers and sisters, the message that we need for today from John the Baptist is that no matter where you are in life, the King has come, 
the king has set up his kingdom on earth. And in order to be a good standing member in the kingdom of God, it starts with repentance. And so whether you have been involved in this church for 90 years plus, or whether you are coming to this church for the very first time, the message is the same. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I hope that as you go through your week, that you will reflect on your life, that you will repent of those things that you need to repent of. And I hope that you'll take a serious look as to where you stand with God. Some of you need to do way, way, way more good things. Some of you may need to do way, way, way less bad things. We are all in different places in life. God is calling each of us to different uh, things in life. But the calling that is the same to all of us is be holy and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And when Jonathan leads us in our song of invitation, if there's anything that you need to repent of, the altar is open for you to repent. Just because you're repenting of something doesn't mean that you're entrenched in some sort of deep sin. It may be something small. It may be something that's going to become big if you don't deal with it now. But each of us have things that we could repent of. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Father, I thank you for his simple message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God, I pray that everyone here would understand that Jesus Christ is the King. And Father, I pray that we would understand that faith and repentance are what's needed to enter that kingdom. Father, if there's someone here who has never put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith in Jesus Christ and that they repent of their sins and turn to you. Father, I pray today that there may be a believer who's been walking with you for many, many years, but may be self-righteous and hypocritical. Father, I pray that they would repent of their sins. Father, there may be someone here who's been walking with you, and you're calling them to a deeper walk with you. And that there's things that maybe used to be okay in their life, but they're not okay anymore if you want to take them to the next level of, of spiritual depth. And Father, I pray for them that they would repent also. Father, if there be any sin in any of us, like David prayed, if there's any unknown sin we have in our life, God, I pray that you would bring it to our attention so that we can deal with it. And Father, I pray that we would be a church and that we would be a people who never let any sort of sin slide in our life, but we identify it and we deal with it on the spot. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. It was good as always to worship the Lord with you. I hope that uh, as we go throughout our week that we would stay focused on this idea of continual repentance before God no matter where we are in life. Uh, listen, uh, it's not just a everybody else thing. One of the things that Dr. Tarkington has shared with me is he said, listen, I am still learning how to walk with Christ as a gray-haired man. He says, I know how to do it as a 30-year-old, but I'm not 30 anymore. He said, it's a continual thing growing with Christ. And we are all in need of that refinement 
and growth in Christ. And so uh, hopefully you'll look forward to a good journey through the book of Matthew. We're going to hit Matthew chapter 4, maybe chapter 5 next week. If you're keeping up with any of our uh, scripture reading, I'll be praying for you this week. Uh, You also be in prayer this week for some of our families that have uh, experienced deaths, uh, as well as um, this week... uh, Randy takes over as our chairman of the deacons, and so this is a new adventure for him in leading our deacons, and so we'll have a special time of prayer tonight during our deacons meeting for him, but uh, you be in prayer for he and his family also uh, as he goes on uh, this year of leadership for our church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us?